This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together ten disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those ten tracks was hosted by Downline Institute and facilitated by Ariana Rimson. Here's audio content from their track called Women Discipling Women. Let's just open up with a word of prayer, if we don't mind. Dear Father God, thank you so much just for allowing us this opportunity to come here and um, just learn more about you and learn more about discipling our most precious blessings, our kids. And we know that this this world can be really hard, and we know that, that struggles are going to come our way, but we also know that you have given us the answers um, that we need in your word and that you are loving us through these trials. And, and for those of us that are in trials right now, dear Father God, I just pray so much for them. It can be super hard to be in, in the midst of it, dear Father God. And, and for those of us who have come out on the other side of some pretty major trials, I just I pray so much that those people can be an encouragement to others and that they share their stories so that people just don't feel alone. And dear Father God, whatever we do today, I just pray that it is good and it just glorifies your name. And in, in, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much. Okay, so I want you to participate in something with me. Since I am a teacher, I like participation. Um, so everybody just close your eyes. I know this is kind of weird. I'm not going to make you chant anything, I promise. Just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the most perfect day. It's like 74 degrees outside. You're in a field. You've had a picnic. Your kids are... They're playing with each other. They're not fighting. They're not calling your name. You're laying back on your, on your blanket and you just feel the sun on your face. And you're thinking to yourself, this could not be better. But then, all of a sudden, you hear a rumble of thunder. And you look up and there is a massive storm that is coming your way. And it's coming fast. And the wind is picking up. And you're a little confused because you're like, it just felt so good outside. I don't really know what's going on. And you're trying to pack up and the wind is blowing. It's blowing your blanket everywhere. Your kids are running at you because, you know, there's nothing around. They didn't know a storm was coming. They're holding on to your legs and they're looking at you and they're saying, Mom, Dad, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? There's this storm. And you look up and it's just these black smoky clouds churning in the sky and you can see this tail end of a tornado and you are out there without any protection without any place to go and you've got these two kids looking at you and you're like how did I not know this was coming how was I not prepared I didn't even know it was going to rain and here I am stuck in this tornado So you can open your eyes now. So my tornado came in the form of my ex-husband. That happened to me just like that. I was living my life happy and carefree, 
And in one day, one day, after seven years of marriage, I found out that my ex-husband was essentially living a double life. He was a drug addict. He had stolen a lot of money. He was a felon. And he had numerous girlfriends. To say the least, it was like a really bad day. <laughs> it was like a really bad day. And that was about 14 years ago. And the worst part of it is that I had these two kids clinging to my legs who were four and two at the time. Say, Mom, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And I, I did not have a college education. I had no job. I had no savings, and it was just, it was the most, um, probably lowest point of my life to that point. I was raised in a Christian family, and life for me had been fairly easy. I became a Christian when I was young, and it wasn't like I wasn't challenged necessarily, but I never really had the rug pulled out from underneath me that way before. Um, and tornadoes come in different ways. You might be having one right now. I mean, it could be cancer. It could be a diagnosis. It could be money. It could be a friendship. I mean, it all comes in different ways. You know, obviously there's a lot more to that story. And now um, I'm going to do my shameless book plug that my I promised my publishers that I would do because I'm selling the book downstairs. <laughs> because it's really the story about how my faith became real through um, through that part of my life and it's kind of the lessons that I learned from it. But anyway, discipling um, our kids through trials, they are just starving for consistency and um, guidance. And they will look for it anywhere. And your goal is to have them look for it in you, that safe place, so that you can show them Jesus. A, a good um, kind of analogy for me is discipling your kids is almost kind of like flying on an airplane. And if you ever get stuck next to me on an airplane, I'm super sorry because I am not a good flyer. I am just stressed about it, especially when the flight attendant starts talking about it crashing into like water <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> makes me really nervous. But the part where they talk about the oxygen masks coming down, you know, when they say the cabin pressure is going to change. And if that happens, you put your mask on first and then you put your child's mask on, which is so different than what we want to do, right? Because as parents, we're like, we have to save our child. But if we're doing that and we can't breathe, then we're like blacking out, our kids blacking out, and we're like goners, right? We don't want to be goners. So... Discipling our kids, we have to put our mask on first so that we are able to show our children the directions that they need to go and, and to be able to, to breathe. You know, they're looking to us. Um, the Bible verse that, that came to mind when I was praying about this was Matthew 7:12, which is really like a preschooly kind of Bible verse. It's due unto others as you would have, have due unto you, but, um, and it's something that we've learned our whole life, you know, growing up in church. But to me, if we want to see those things in our children, we have to be the one doing it. Think about you being in your trial. How would you like to be treated? Especially when you're a child and you're so out of control. 
like when I was going through that in my life, I felt out of control anyway. But then bring these little kids in, they were really out of control. And because they're searching, they're searching. So before I started writing this, um, I brought my kids in. I was like, hey, guys, so let's talk about what was good and what wasn't good when we've gone through some of our hardest times. And, of course, whenever I open up dialogue about where they can criticize me, they love that. You know? <laughs> well, here's, here's where you really messed up. But, um, but anyway, the, the things that we, that, that we thought about were, were the same. The things that they thought were really important was the exact same thing that I thought was really important. So I was like, oh, that's super cool because now we have like this kind of affirmation. So before we get started, I wanted to let you know this is like kid tested and approved. You know, they really enjoyed that part. So I'm going to go through four different points that I found in my experience in working with my children and um, and our hardest times, what worked for us, and what I find is essential to be able to walk with your kids through trials. So, the first teacher in me, sorry, I got around the board. The first point we're going to talk about is honesty. Oh no, that's a terrible. There we go. And that sounds like so simple. What's, what's a churchy answer? You know, we've got to be honest, right? Okay, y'all. And if we're really being honest right now, Christians, we are so good about not being honest. We really are. Have you ever talked to somebody at church and you're like, hey, how you doing? They're like, I'm great. And you're like, wait, didn't your son like just run away and... Aren't you, like, filing bankruptcy and your husband just lost his job? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? Because, and I've done it, too. It's just because I just don't want to talk or whatever. You know, we come up with these excuses. But we are super good about finding a pretty, glossy, packaged answer when we don't really want to say what's going on in our lives. And to be honest, did you catch that? (laughs) <laughs> Who really wants to talk about our trials? Because they're, they're embarrassing a lot of the times. They show our imperfections. They show um, things that come into our lives that maybe we feel like shows our vulnerabilities. And a lot of times in the church, we, we give this air of perfection And that's why the world looks at us, and when we fall, they're like, (laughs) well, when we show our imperfections, because, y'all, we're all perfect. This room is full of sinners, just like church is full of sinners every Sunday. Then it's so much easier to be able to connect with that person. Our job is not necessarily to know all the answers. Our job is to be obedient to the Lord. And being honest, y'all, I mean, that's the first commandment. I mean, that's a, like part of the Ten Commandments, like do not bear false witness. That's something that we need to be doing. So if we're going to treat others the way we want to be treated, we need to be being honest with our kids. So in turn, they're going to be honest with us, too. Because isn't that what we want? Especially in trials, don't we want them to come to us and be honest about what's going on? And one of the things I like to say especially when it comes to our children. I just like to to use the word honor. When we are honest with our kids, we honor them. 
We're honoring that relationship with truth. So an example of this in my life was one night I was on a single mom date, which if any of you don't know what that is, I will let you know. Um, They're super fun. Um, I left my kids with my parents, and I pulled up to the Walgreens parking lot, got out of the car by myself, and, like, walked up and down the aisles, like, looking at toilet paper and um, looking at Oreos, whatever. It was just, like, time to be by myself. (laughs) Why did I choose Walgreens? I don't know, you know. But um, but when you're a single mom, like, that's because I didn't get every other weekend or holidays or things like that. The the children were mine 100% of the time, which I'm super happy about. But, um, yeah, you just try to find the time where you can get it. But I was walking up and down the aisles, and I got a phone call on my cell phone from my ex-husband, which was pretty rare. We didn't talk a whole lot. And um, I picked up the phone, and he informed me that the next morning that they were going to be taking him to jail wasn't super surprising to me because a lot of the choices he made were illegal. And just in case y'all don't know, when you break the law, you could go to jail at some point. Funny thing was, he was a law student at the time. So I think he knew that better than most people. But the whole time that he was telling me those details, all I could think about were these two little kids at home. Like, how am I going to tell them this, like, what does that do to them? I'm not a social worker, I'm not a psychologist, but thinking about what that does to a little child's heart to tell them that their dad is going to jail, I was like, going to like traumatize them and scar them emotionally, and, and so I don't even know what he was talking about because that was that's all I was thinking about. And when I got to my parents' house where I lived at the time. I remember hearing them laughing up the stairs and just playing, just being little kids. And when I walked up the stairs, they looked at me like, what's the matter? Mm-hmm. And it just, I just must have just looked terrible. And I said, we got to go upstairs. We have to talk. And so their little feet climbing up the stairs. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe they don't have to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? They don't really see him a whole lot anyway. They they don't really talk to him a whole lot. It's not like they would be missing him being around. Maybe I could just omit this little bit of information and save them some heartache. And so I get up the stairs, and they're sitting on the couch. My daughter and my son are like looking at me. And, and I looked at their faces, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. There's been enough betrayal in our lives already, and I want to be someone that reflects Jesus to them. And if I'm going to do that, even if it's hard, I am going to tell them the truth because I want to be that safe place. I want to be that person that they can trust with the hard stuff, really especially with the hard stuff, that they know when I tell them something, it's going to be the truth. So I gathered them really close up in my lap. We were all sitting like kind of on top of each other. And I remember looking at their faces thinking, this is it. This is the last time I will see them 
looking like this, this innocent part of them, because after I have this conversation, it will be different. They will have a veil lifted. And, and it was a sad. It was sad for me. I agree with that because I just don't think it's fair. But life isn't fair. I mean, we're not guaranteed a fair, a fair life. So a conversation kind of went like this. I said, guys, I've got bad news. And now, granted, I'm talking to a five- and a three-year-old at this point. And they're like, and Paisley said, what is it? And I said, well, sometimes people make bad choices. And Daddy made a bad choice. And he chose to take some money that wasn't his. And Eddie said, who's three, isn't that stealing? And I said, yes, it is stealing. Does anybody know what can happen if you take money and you steal it and it's not yours? And Paisley said, go to jail. And her face was just blank. Go to jail. And I said, mm-hmm, go to jail. And then Eddie, his little lip just quivered. And he said, I thought only bad guys go to jail. Because really, isn't that what happens when we're three? Bad guys go to jail. Boy, you know how I was so full of like six billion different emotions. I was mad. I was sad. I was angry. I was overwhelmed. I was compassionate. I mean, it was like just a pool of emotion. And I told Eddie, well, you know, the jails, I mean, aren't they just full of people who just made bad choices? I mean, they had a right to make a good choice or a bad choice. They made a bad choice. So it's like their very own timeout. And he was like, oh, okay. Because, you know, it really made a difference to him that his dad wasn't a bad guy. You know, that's hard. And um, Pace said, can I talk to him? I said, yes, you can. They said, will he write me letters? Can I write him letters? Yes, you can write letters. And that kind of relaxed them a little bit that they could still have communication. But y'all, no kidding. Probably one of the hardest conversations I ever had was with a five- and a three-year-old. But at the same time, I remember feeling, Lord, thank you for giving me those words. Because in that process, I was able to honor the Lord by just being honest with my kids. And at the same time, honor my kids. Honor them with that truth. Because as parents, we, we like Band-Aids, y'all. I don't know. My kids like Band-Aids. I like Band-Aids. I don't want to see your nasty mess. I want to just cover it up, right? Well, when we cover up things, sometimes they don't heal. And it just prolongs the healing. I knew if I Band-Aided that situation, it was going to prolong the healing. And some really good stuff came out of it. I mean, for one thing, my kids knew where their dad was. I mean, that's pretty important. You know, as a kid, where's your dad? Well, he's in jail. Funny thing was, Paisley, her way of coping about that was just telling anybody. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you know, we'd be at checkout at the Walmart. (laughs) She's like checking out her gum. Did you know my dad's in jail? (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) and the Walmart lady would look at me and I was like, you know, and I didn't want her to say, like, Paisley, don't tell, you know, because it's not like it's a secret. But it was like, oh, 
you don't have to tell everybody that we don't know. I mean, you know, it's this weird kind of conversation of like, you don't have to be ashamed of that, but you don't really have to tell everybody (laughs) because I'm having to deal with it too. Um, Yeah, that was really funny. But so they knew where their dad was. Second of all, they really learned like when you make bad choices, there are some bad consequences that follow that. And the consequences don't necessarily just affect you. They affect other people that are surrounding you because that wasn't their choice and they were really hurting. And the third thing, as a parent, I wasn't walking around all paranoid that somebody was going to spill the beans about where their dad was. Have you all ever been there before where you're like, oh, don't say anything? <laughs> what? And it's like this a cage that we build ourselves in where we're not being honest with our kids. And sometimes we just have to be honest with ourselves and just be like, this just stinks, you know? But just if we, if we band-aid it, if we cover it up, it can never, it can never start healing properly. It just can't. So here's some questions I want to ask you. Are you being honest with your kids about your trials? About your family's trials? Even about them? Because as parents, sometimes our kids are going through things, especially as an educator. I have seen kids going through a lot of learning difficulties and parents won't tell their kids what's going on with them because they don't want them to feel different. Well, we're all different. Do you know how confusing it would be to not know what's going on with you or what's going on with your mom? And yes, omitting information is not necessarily being true. <laughs> and and you can do this in a really good way as well. Um, Developmentally, you want to make sure when you're talking to your kids about trials that have come up in your life or their lives. Like when I talk to my five and three year old, little kids like, like big details, like the big picture. They don't want like, um, little tiny things. It overwhelms them. And when I talk to my children about their dad going to jail, I didn't really talk to them about, he stole this much money and he stole it. So he stole the money from my parents. I didn't say that. You know, I didn't go into all these little tiny details. They don't need to know that. They just need to know the big picture. Now, teenagers, they want everything. And that's okay. Because they, they can handle a lot more than what you think. And, and the best part for me, the best rule of thumb that I just kind of made up in my own brain raising these kids in, in a difficult situation was when they asked the question, that meant that they were old enough to know the answer. Does that make sense? You know, when they w- would ask a question, they would know they were old enough to know the answer. So, for instance, when my children, when they were five and three, those were the questions they asked, what I told you. But when they got older, they had more questions, and I gave them those answers. So a little practical takeaway for honesty, if your kids come to you with a question, and usually they're going to come to you with a question, like when you're doing the dishes or something, and they like sideswap you, you know, hey, mom, why don't we ever go see grandma? You know, and you're like, if you're not ready to answer the question, or if you don't know how to answer the question, tell them acknowledge them and get back to them. You're not off the hook because they asked. So now you got to honor the relationship, right? So now you got to get back to them. 
it's super easy for us as parents to say, hey, guys, um, why don't you go watch TV? Oh, they forgot. You know, they're not going to forget. They're going to come back. And you don't want to ignore them. So come back to them. Tell them, guys, I don't really want to talk about this right now. Let me formulate my thoughts. Or I don't know the answer to that question. Let me figure it out. And I'm going to get back to you either tonight or tomorrow. It's got to be soon, you know. Don't do it to where you kind of like drift off into space and it just goes away. And so after being honest in our trials, we're going to go to our second point, which is acceptance. Accepting it. We accept things in two different ways. I'm sure there's a zillion different ways, but here's how me, this is how I accept things. One is, I can live in denial really easily. And denial to me is kind of like cooking fish for dinner. You cook fish for dinner and it's super yummy and you eat it and it's so good. And then you clean up the kitchen. The kitchen looks really good, but you throw all the dead fish in the trash can. You go to bed and you wake up in the morning, come downstairs, it all looks really pretty, but something really stinks. (laughs) That's denial to me. Something stinks. You may not see it, but it is there. I've done that, and that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Or you could do the kind of opposite thing, and you could be the controller. So you know the situation, the situation of the trial is there, and maybe you're being honest about it. You've talked to your kids about it and your family about it, but... You're controlling how you think they should feel about the trial. And as parents, oh, that's so easy to do. You're overreacting or you're not reacting enough. This is a big deal. Don't you get it? You know, everybody reacts to things differently. And as parents, we try to sometimes manipulate the situation Tell them this is not appropriate behavior. This is appropriate behavior. And that doesn't really work either because then nobody really wants to talk to you about what's going on in their life because you're trying to make them feel something they don't feel. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, okay, accepting it and working through it with them. So Philippians 4.12 is something that came up to, to mind when I was thinking about acceptance. I know what it is to be in need And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. So if Paul wrote that in jail, I mean, shouldn't I be able to accept my, my situations, my trials? And shouldn't I teach my kids their acceptance of their trials altogether? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. 
how to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in Sustainable Discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. So when I was thinking about the acceptance part, a story came to mind. If y'all haven't noticed yet, I like to tell stories. And when I was a single mom going to college, my days, I would wake up around 5.30 in the morning, drive an hour to school, be there all day. I was taking like 18, 19, 20 hours as much as I possibly could because I was living in my parents' attic. I wanted to get out of there. So it's going as fast and as hard as I could. And I, when I would get home around 6.30 and I would see my kids and I was supposed to, you know, make them dinner, like do mom stuff, make sure they were clean and like their teeth were brushed and try to help them be productive members of society, you know. Yeah, we're in loving Jesus all at the same time. And then tuck them into bed, and I would do about two or three hours of homework and start the next day. And why is it at bedtime, like, your children will become, that they want to, like, confess at bedtime? I don't know if, I don't know if it's like just like a kid kind of thing where they don't really want to go to sleep or whatever. And then you feel guilty, you know, if you're like, I don't want to talk about this right now. You're so tired. You don't want to talk. And, but that's when they want to talk, so that's what you do. So my daughter Paisley was sitting on the bed, and she goes, Mama, I have a question. And I was like, what? And she said, um, why doesn't Daddy call us a lot? Why doesn't he call us very much? And it was true. He didn't. He didn't call. And it was a problem that he and I had both had when um, I would confront him on the issue. And I would say, you know, your kids... You know, calling them once every six weeks, two months, that's just not going to cut it. you got to call them more than that. And I would yell at them to try to get it to work. That didn't work. I would cry. You're hurting their feelings. That didn't work. I would try to manipulate them to do it. That didn't work. I mean, you can't control somebody, y'all. I mean, have you ever tried that? Uh, you, you know you all have. You try to control somebody. You cannot control somebody, Okay. And so when she asked me that, I just burst into tears and probably was because I was tired from the day. And, and it really bothered me that he didn't do it because they were worth it. They were worth it. They were these really great kids. And I was frustrated and Paisley was probably looking at me like, this is like a weird mom moment. <laughs> you know? Like I shouldn't even said anything. And she she brought her little hand up when she petted my arm, and she goes, Mama, I wish Daddy was better, but he's just not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like, I just remember going, you're right, he's just not. <laughs> and it just gave me, like, permission to accept him the way he was. She had put her mask on first, and I hadn't. So you see the reaction that happened when she came to me with an issue? And I hadn't put my mask on. She was all cool. And I was like a basket case because I had not accepted the issue. I was trying to control an uncontrollable situation. Was it going to work? 
And when we learn to accept the trials that we are in, whether we caused them or not, because a lot of times we can cause our own messes, when we learn to accept those things, there's so much freedom. It's like you could just fall back in Jesus' arms and be like, okay, take me where you want to take me. I know I'm here for a reason. I don't know what it is yet, but let me know and I'll wait. There's just a lot of freedom there. And so instead of asking yourself, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my kids? You start asking yourself, why not me? Why not my kids? Because we are not guaranteed happy, perfect lives when we come to know Jesus. In fact, I don't know anybody who has that. You know? Romans 9.20 says, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Because there was a point in my life where I was asking God that. Like, why am I in this situation? And then go from there to Isaiah 64, 8. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Y'all, the Lord is molding your kids. And so many times as parents, we don't like seeing them be molded. It hurts us because it's hurting them. But at the same time, he's putting his fingerprints all over us too. Which is a super cool place to be. To watch the Holy Spirit work in your kids' lives. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. It's just hard to watch sometimes. So, practical application for me on accepting um, trials that you're in with your children. And this is hard. It's hard for me anyway. When your kids come to you to talk about what's going on in their lives, you listen and you don't offer advice. That's so hard. So hard. Sometimes I have to bite my lip or like pinch my finger just to kind of like make sure. <laughs> it's like I'm focused on something else besides the words that are going to come out of my mouth because that's how they're learning. They're learning how they're coping right now. Like, how do I feel about this? Let me talk to my parent about it, my mom or dad. Let me talk to them. And so many times as parents, we want to say, yeah, you should do this. Like, this is what you should do. Or this is how you should react. Or this is what should happen. And we're taking away that experience of them figuring out how they feel about it themselves. Because we're telling them how we feel about it. We're like putting all those feelings on them. They might not feel the same way we do. And that's hard. That's hard. So now that we've accepted it, so we're honest, we've accepted. (coughs) Now we're going to forgive. And this is not the type of forgiveness where I say, oh, you know, I put your pants in the dryer and they're too small. Sorry. You know, oh, I forgive you. No. This is like, the heart-wrenching, white-knuckling, soul-searching type of forgiveness that you almost, if you were being honest with yourself, don't want to give because it validates you being angry at whatever has happened in your life. 
We've all been there. And forgiveness is such a Jesus quality. And Jesus is perfect and we are not. It can be really hard to give. It can be a betrayal like me. It could be health, finances. You might need to uh, forgive a recovering childhood. Maybe your childhood wasn't so good. Maybe you need to forgive regret, missed opportunity. Maybe you need to forgive yourself for something that you've done or some choices you've done. Maybe you even need to forgive death. I know that sounds really weird, but I had someone very close to me have her husband pass. And when she, when that happened to her, she became really bitter. And she was angry and negative. And just one day I had had enough of the negativity. And I said, why are you so mad all the time? And this was probably seven years after her husband had passed. And she said, you know what? He left me here. And I'm mad about it. And I was like, I never thought you could forgive somebody for dying, you know. But she had to forgive him for just being human. We find all kinds of ways to be angry when things don't happen the way we want them to. And so for me, about a couple of years after, maybe not two years, but about a year and a half, after I found myself in a really terrible situation, I knew I was going to have to, to start the forgiveness process, which to me it was a process. It wasn't an overnight thing. Um, it was something that I had to work through because the betrayal was so deep. And, um, and everybody has their own process. I, mean, I really think they do. And, and I had carried around this anger and this rage and this bitterness on the pit of my stomach and I had really lied to myself saying that, oh y'all, this is making me strong. I overcame all this and it's like in my stomach. It's making me strong. Like I'm working through all that. But it wasn't making me strong at all. It was doing something complete opposite which was making me weak so when my kids would come and talk to me about what was going on in their lives and their trials, if it had anything to do with their dad, I would react very bad. I mean, I was enraged. It got to the point where they didn't even want to talk to me about it, which is exactly the opposite of what I was trying to do. But it was that way because I was letting the situation control me instead of controlling the situation. I was like still in it. I hadn't let it go. And I thought, Lord, do I really want to let this go? And the Lord was kind of like, well, yeah, I do. I've told you a lot of times that you really need to let it go because there's two big major problems of withholding forgiveness. You know, one, as Christians, we're told to do it. I mean, we're just told to do it. There's no other way around it. He didn't say, well, you know, your husband was mean to you or your parents were mean to you. Your neighbor was mean to you. I get it. You don't have to forgive them. Yeah, he doesn't say that. He said forgive them. Ephesians 4, 31, 32, get rid of all bitterness, which I had, rage, which I had, anger, I had it, brawling, I had it, slander, I had it, along with every form of malice. I have malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So if my identity is in Christ, 
which I had claimed it was, and I knew it was, then I have to forgive. And I was like, it was almost, it was almost like when you tell your kids to go clean their room, and they're like, you know, that's the way I felt. I had to forgive. Second part was that I was becoming unapproachable to my kids. My kids were having to handle me. Have you ever had to handle somebody? You know, like you have to walk on eggshells around certain people about certain things. I was that person. I was the person being handled. And I was the parent. So that's a really terrible place to be, too. And I was sitting here trying to raise empathetic, compassionate, loving, kind children. And I wasn't showing any of those things. And at the same time, I wanted my kids to, to talk to me about their problems and so I could show them how to bring it to the foot of the cross. I hadn't done that. So I hadn't put my mask on when they were really needing me to breathe. So my process kind of became like this. The Lord spoke to me and said, Shannon, you need to pray for him. Have you ever prayed for anybody that you just don't want to pray for? It's so lame. It really is. It's so lame. And so I was like, how do I pray for this person? So here's how, here's what my first prayer looked like. And this is it kind of word for word. Dear Lord, if my ex-husband gets run over by a semi-truck, I will be okay with that. That was my first prayer. Now, granted, I didn't ask him to get run over by a semi-truck. I did not ask him to die. Don't let him die. I just said, if he did, if it was in his will, I would be okay with it, and which is so weird. But at the same time, I prayed that prayer for maybe a couple of weeks, and it kind of softened my heart. I was like, oh, it kind of got me into the habit of praying for someone I did not want to pray for, which was not easy to do. And then I started praying for, like, real things. Like, not for him to die, you know, but, like, his salvation, for him to recover. I still haven't seen that. And it's been 14 years, but I still pray for him. I still pray for him. I still know that the Lord loves him and desires him. So that process for me, one night, after all this prayer... I was like, tonight's tonight. Tonight's tonight. I'm going to forgive him tonight. Yeah. And I was in my bed. The kids were asleep. And it was, it was really just weak. I was like, Lord. It was so churchy. Lord, I forgive him. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel any different. <laughs> and then the Lord was kind of like, yeah, Shannon. That word's really dumb. Let's try again. <laughs> and then I kind of like, I was like, okay, yeah, that was, that was really weak. I'm going to try, try this again. And I kind of, I sat up and, and I spoke audibly and I said, Lord, I am tired of being sick and tired. I am tired of being mad. I'm tired of being controlled. I'm tired of not having any laughter. Because when you're mad and, and angry, you don't laugh a whole lot. Like I miss it. I miss living. I forgive him. I'm letting it go. It doesn't matter to me anymore. 
And it really was like a backpack full of bricks. I know that's, the, that's what people say. It really was. Was just like, boop, taken off. I felt like I could actually breathe. <sighs> like I hadn't breathed in a year and a half. And it was like, hey, I can dance, y'all. I can, I can get up and do a jig or something, you know. I forgave him. I really forgave him. And my story, I called him and I told him I forgave him. Some people, you can't do that. You, you might be dealing with your parents that aren't here anymore. You know, your, your kids, your, your parents have done things to you that you've done to your kids, you know. I mean, like, there are things that sometimes we can't do that. That's what I did. I called him. I told him. I was like, I forgive you. And he was like, okay. <laughs> it really wasn't as big of a deal for him as it was for me. But isn't that the case? Right. But my children, though, being able to disciple them because I had put my mask on, I was able to see that some of the things that they were doing was coming out of a place of unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it was able, I was able to like pinpoint, you haven't forgiven your dad, have you? Mm-hmm. And just kind of speaking through their lives a little bit because really I can't control that. They have to do that themselves. That's their walk. Mm-hmm. But if I can do it, they can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I still speak into them. And they're still walking that journey. They're still walking that path. Because really, you know, the older they get, they see how deep the betrayal was. And they're having to forgive them over and over again for different things. And that's what we want. We want that because then they realize what the Lord did for them and how important they are in the sight of the Lord. And so then they're called to do it if they claim to be in Christ. So a practical application of forgiveness, and this is not necessarily easy either, is to do it in your houses. Own your stuff. That is a saying in our house, and it is really irritating, especially when your seven-year-old goes, Mom, you need to own it. You know, Dad, you need to own it. And you're like, oh, okay, I just need to own it. But when you guys mess up at home, because we all do, own it. I'm sorry. Can you imagine if you're an 11-year-old daughter or 11-year-old son and your mom or dad comes to you? I know that really bothered you, and I'm really sorry. Do you forgive me? Wow, my parents asked for forgiveness for me. How cool is that? They must really love me. Yeah, try it. And then you'll see them doing it to each other, which is really kind of cool because don't we want our kids to like do like good things? <laughs> And they're the ones that are fighting most of the time anyway. But you'll see them doing it to each other. And it just it just makes the house just a little bit more welcoming and opening. When you can come in and mess up and repent, say you're sorry, and move on. What a good example of just of just Jesus in your house. And so on our last point is reaching out if you're like me at all um, when something happens in my life I have a tendency to have tunnel vision like I've got to make sure that my children and I are like we're all okay and I might reach out a little bit to people around me it's very unintentional for me to have tunnel vision. 
and you, because you start just thinking about yourself all the time. Like, me, me, me. How does this affect me? How does it affect my kids? How is it affecting my day tomorrow? How is it affecting their day tomorrow? And so we become self-absorbed really easily. And, and it's just where Satan wants to put you. He wants to take you and put you by yourself to where you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, my God, nobody's around me. But when you're in that trial and it's super easy to just do all this and hold it close to you, that's exactly when you need to be reaching out. I mean, like, now. If you're in a trial right now and you haven't reached out to somebody, think about somebody, pray about somebody, call them, like, today. <laughs> I need help. I need help. Because there, there is so much relational, just back and forth, and sharing your walk with somebody. And maybe you need it now, but... Someday, somebody else is going to need it, and you're going to be that person for somebody else. Because everybody has different experiences. They may have something that they're walking through, or that they walk through, that you're walking through now. And they can show you where the pitfalls are, where the shortcuts are. They can, they can tell you what worked, what didn't. They can tell you, um, this might last a lot longer than what you think. You know, they, they, they've been there, so that they know. They can also really help you with like practical things like meals or tutoring or discipling your kids, you know. They can help you in all different kinds of ways. Hebrews tells us, And let us not consider how we may spur one another. Oh, it's not let us not consider. Excuse me. Changing the Bible. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Approaching. That's Hebrews 10, 24, 25. You know, your person could be a parent, a friend, neighbor, small group, church, youth minister, counselor, therapist. It just need you need somebody. And sometimes as parents, especially when we're discipling our children, we can be too close. We can't see the forest through the trees. And, and we need somebody to like shine a light from above to be like, okay, here's your path because you're too close to the situation. That happened to us a couple of years ago when my daughter got to like the dating age. If y'all haven't been there, y'all, I'm sorry. It's coming. If you have been there, y'all, might, I'm reaching out to you now. Um, she was picking some doozies, y'all. Like, she was bringing these dudes home, and we were like, what have we done wrong? <laughs> Where have we messed up? And we were clashing, and it wasn't necessarily because Paisley couldn't come and talk to me about it. It was because I was saying, okay, there are some real red flags here, and she would admit to it. Yeah, I know. I see him. But then when I get together with them, they just kind of go away. I don't see it anymore. And as a parent, I was so irritated. I was like, okay, if you see that they're there, why are you still there? Like, it was just so hard. And so finally, I was like, okay, we need counseling. I had to reach out. I had met my match with this one. And so we found a 
lovely Christian counselor, highly recommended to us from someone in our church. So I reached out to someone in church, then I reached out again, who dealt with some daddy issues, especially abandonment in young teens. And of course, you know, I'm like, daddy issues? Well, we walked through that. She's forgiven them. We're fine, you know. But we get there and working with her and working with Paisley, she had discovered that Paisley, because her dad has chosen not to be very involved, had to lower her expectations just to have a relationship with him. So what was she doing with her boyfriends? Lowering expectations just to have relationship. She didn't know her value in Christ. She didn't know what she was worth. She didn't know she was bought with a price. You know, she learned it her whole life, but she never really made it real for herself. I had no idea. And I would have probably still never known if I didn't reach out to talk to someone else to shine that light in on us because I was just banging my head against the wall. You know, especially when it's your kids, you're like, what are you doing? So it's okay to need backup. It's okay to say, I can't do it. It's okay to rely on others. You know, for me, the more people that can love my kids, the better. Why do we get weird about people loving our kids? Now, on the same point, you know, you want to make sure that whoever you're allowing your kids to be around, especially if they're mentors, you want to be intentional about it. You want to make sure that they're walking in faith. You want to make sure that um, that they're strong believers. You know, they're not doing anything weird because, you know, they're going to have influence over you and your children. So, that's you know, be prayerful about that. And I'm saying that because I've known some friends that have allowed their children to be around other families that claim to know the Lord, but they're not walking with Jesus. And it's been problems. Okay? But, so just... Reach out to people that you know are walking with the Lord. And those people will be more than happy to work with you and your kids. The more people that love your kids, the better. And, you know, sometimes in life we give and sometimes we take. Be willing to take when you need to and always be willing to give when you can. I mean, it's really the cycle of community. It's how we're built. We're not islands. You know, we're... We're meant to be hooked into the mainland. So a practical application of that, and this one's really fun, make sure you're spending at least some time every week with somebody who can support you in whatever you are going through. Your kids, too. Teenagers, they like to go upstairs and shut the door. When you're discipling your kids through trials, yeah, that's okay. They can go upstairs and shut the door sometimes. You want to make sure that you're bringing them out. And they don't have to, like, go and spend time with, like, Grandpa down the street, you know. They can go and spend time with other kids their age. Try to see if they'll plug them into youth ministry. If they don't want to go, they don't want to go. Okay, but who else can we talk to? You, They've got to have an outlet. You have to have an outlet. You can never underestimate the power of a really good laugh with a friend. You just can't. So, in conclusion, because I see I want to have a little bit of question and answer if I can, but 2 Timothy 
3:16-17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Like I said in the beginning of the session, you were hand-picked to disciple your kids. Whether you think you're up for whatever challenge is in your family right now or in your life right now, you were hand-picked. Even if you don't believe it. You were. God God believes that you were. And we've been given his word, which is like, there's six billion parenting books out there. You really only need the Bible. That's all you need. Sometimes we um, overthink things, especially as parents. We get all stressed out because all the TV shows are telling us one thing or the next, you know, whatever. You do this, your kids going to do that. You do this, blah, 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 blah. Y'all were all born with the ability to parent your children. Follow your gut. The Holy Spirit is in you and guiding you. And read that Bible. Teach your children scriptures. Live by example. Pray for your kids during the good times and be on your knees during the bad times and let them see you do it. Let them see the power of prayer and your life and how they can take that and use it in their own life and how you are dependent on the Father because they're going to do what you're going to do. They're going to do it. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in them. And when they're kicking and screaming, don't fix it. Don't fix it. You know, you're going to want to. Let them feel the weight of their choices. They made a bad choice. Boy, that really stinks for you. How are you dealing with it? You know, don't be Superman and don't fly in and fix it. Let the Holy Spirit work. And don't pass up teachable moments. They come up every day. They kind of just float up to the service. Y'all, you know when they're there. You're like, oh, oh, I could probably tell them this happened to me when I was 12. One of the best things that I ever did as a parent was give my kids my 12-year-old diary when I was 12 and 13. Because when they got to be almost teenagers, and I got that you don't understand, read it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Pacey goes, I didn't know you talked like that. I said, I shouldn't have, but I did. <laughs> so I'll leave you with this. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Y'all, that's for grown-ups. And that's for kids, too. And I finish right on time. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So we have a little bit of time. If y'all have any questions, we have about 10, 15 minutes. Do you have any questions at all? Come on, somebody give something. You know you wrote something down. Yes, yes, you with the beautiful baby. What's your name? Miriam. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah. Right. That that's a really super good question. Something that was beneficial to me really in my everyday life is perspective. Always perspective. We've heard that from that question, not from necessarily our children, but from people everywhere. Well, if God is so good, why do floods happen? God is so good, why do all my friends leave? If God is so good, and one of the things when my children would ask me that question, one of the things that um, I thought about is God, who is so righteous and so just and so perfect, the question really should be, God, that is such an amazing God, so perfect, how are we even still able to be alive when we are so sinful? How can a righteous God even allow us to be here? And here we are. And yeah, it can be hard, but we are promised in Romans that whatever trials that come, for those who love him, good will come out of it. So we have to stand on that promise. And sometimes, and this this happens in my house often, if my kids are facing a trial or I'm facing a trial or anybody in the house, we will write scripture and I will tape it to like the pantry because that's where we're opening and shutting the most or the bathroom mirror and have it, have them talk, pray over it, memorize it. You know that verse where it just says, you know, put it on your door frames. And it works. It works. You see it working. So I don't know if that answers your question. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. This is a necessarily with your children, but when you were going through those times outside of your household and your family, what ways did your church family or community, what was the best way they came alongside you going through Ooh. when you were not with your husband and everything was going on? What was the best way? You're going to love this answer because it's going to be really insightful. Nobody helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody. Correction, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, a yeah. A lot of times, and I, I want to say, is um, downstairs when we were talking about who's discipling mm-hmm. us, and I thought, little woe is me, I wasn't discipling mm-hmm. younger, and it just clicked in my heart, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit, so mm-hmm. I was with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The Holy Spirit, definitely. But the church, the church as an institution, um, no. Did not. And, well, <laughs> my friends tried the best way that they could. Okay, because I, I'm like an anomaly. I'm like that person that, you know, all these really bad things happen to because that wasn't just the only really bad things that ever happened to me. <laughs> and, like, you know, you hear about these stories of people where bad things happen, and you're like, I'm really happy I'm not them. That's me. Like, I'm that person. So my friends, I was 26 when all that happened. Most of them had never even been married. So they they were they tried oh they tried so hard, but it was just whoo, over their heads. It was over my head, honestly. Um, I did the the church was they tried the church I was going to at the time. I did get some a lot of pushback, not from the pastor. The pastor was very supportive of the choices that I had to make to get a divorce. You know, because as Christians, we're not supposed to get divorced. And I get that. A lot of Christians get divorces when they're not justified. And that's a true thing. Um, but for me, in my case, mine was justified. 
And I had people in the congregation who I didn't even know coming up to me saying, what you're doing is wrong. And I was like, you don't even know who I am. You don't want my shoes. So, And the pastor was not like that, though. The pastor was w- walked through that with me some. Um, but really, it was my family. It was my parents. Uh, I guess I'm asking that if, if you know somebody's going through some mm-hmm. situations, what would be somebody from the outside looking at what would be the best way to care for that person so they won't feel as if nobody else? Being transparent. And I know that sounds um, like simple, but me being so young when all of that happened to me, I was starving for connection of somebody who would tell me all their yucky details of their yucky stories because I was I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody would do that. Like, except my creepy uncle, you know, who was like 65, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't relate to you at all. But do you know what I mean? Like, um, n- nobody would take their their boundaries down of like self, you know, I want to be this person. Yeah, all that stuff that's ever happened to me, I'm just going to pretend it didn't. Like, nobody would do that. Even people that had been through betrayal, oh, they would just pat, oh, you know, oh, you'll get through it. But I said, tell me your story. I need to hear, like, that you wondered where God was in all this. Like, I needed to hear that. So I think it's just to be transparent and, like, listen to what they're saying and and the whole thing of y'all it's gonna get better i mean we all kind of know that i never really liked it when people said that to me you know because i was like yeah i know that's like 101 i kind of know that i kind of want you to tell me that you're with me right now like it's bad like we're in the hole but i'm with you in the hole you know that's what i want you to tell me (laughs) nothing's gonna get better because yeah i mean i kind of know that but um, and that there's so much more to the person than the trial. I don't know how many times I went to parties and I got this look. What are you doing? How are you doing? And I was like, I'm good. You know, there's a lot more to me than just, you know, a betrayal. <laughs> you know, it's a bad time in my life, but you know, I'm going to college. Raising two kids, like there's a lot more to me than just that. And and mine was pretty public because my ex-husband was in the Christian music business and my dad's in the Christian music business and has been for a long time. And and so whenever we would go anywhere, it was all that luck. I mean, it's just and you know they want to be empathetic, but just there's more to me than this. You know, there's life past the trial. I guess I should say. Yes. How do you see forgiveness and trust? Well, I like that question. Forgiveness and trust are totally two different things. That's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> totally two different but things. Not some people. Yeah. But God tells you to forgive. Yeah, but He doesn't necessarily say trust everybody. Invite them into your home. Sort of. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. You have, um, we are called to forgive. Trust is built. We are called to trust God. We are not called to trust every person. We're not. Trust is something you earn. When I forgave my ex-husband, we're not best friends. He didn't come over for dinner. That would not be a safe place for me to be. 
because I was in, in such a um, unhealthy relationship there and a lot of just emotional and psychological abuse, that is not a good place for me to be. So, yeah, take care of me, right? But I'm called to forgive. And do I continue to forgive him? Yep. Does he come over for dinner now? Nope. You know, Paisley, when we moved to a new house about 10 years ago, she goes, hey, Mom, um, can I invite him upstairs to see my room? And I was like, hmm. Yes, you can. Let me mentally prepare. And it had nothing to do with the fact that I hadn't forgiven him. I don't trust him. You know, just because you share DNA with somebody doesn't mean you got to trust them. You know, so many times with our families, we have, I mean, talk about dysfunctional family. We got dysfunction in our family. I mean, we all do. I like to think um, we're all crazy. Just some of us have been diagnosed when others haven't. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I got it. We all got it. You know, <laughs> it's like we all got it. That's okay. But when it comes to those things, you have to make sure that you're smart, where you don't have to put ourselves in situations to where you get um, beaten down and you feel abused over and over again just because you think forgiveness and trust are the same thing. Forgiveness sets you free. That's what it does. It helps you move on. I like to think um, there's so many, uh, you know, people adopting now, especially from orphanages, and um, lots of times children that are in orphanages, they have traumatic pasts, and so developmentally they haven't quite caught up yet because the trauma has stopped their development. And then when they get into a healthy family, they're able to kind of, this is how this works, you know, and they're able to acclimate and develop. Well, when something traumatic happens to us, like spiritually, it almost stops your development until you forgive it. And that's when you go, Jesus, I'm acclimating. Okay, I get it. I'm growing from it now. I'm able to learn and grow because I forgave. You know, I like your question. Thank you. All right, guys, I think. Oh, yes, one more. When you said early on that you looked at your daughter's face and you knew at that moment you would never see mm-hmm. that sweet, innocent face again, I, I just want to ask about honesty. Mm-hmm. I, in this world of so much pornography and mm-hmm. sexual sin, how much discretion do you use in talking to your children? Good question. I tell them all the time. I mean, from the time... I haven't I haven't told Louie necessarily about pornography. I've talked to him. He's seven. He knows about, like, dirty things, inappropriate things. I mean, gosh, the Hardy's commercials, I think, are porno, pornography, whatever, pornographic. Um, I have told him, I kind of say it this way, the Internet is like um, the ocean. If you don't know how to swim, you're going to get hurt. And that's, and that's the truth of it. My 15, 16-year-old son... He knows, I mean, as bad as it can get. I talk to him about what it does to your brain, that it's an addiction. Um, I'm very open and honest about the dangers of that because he's going to grow up, go to college, and I'm not going to be able to put my parental controls on my websites anymore. I'm instilling integrity in him, you know, just because girls, women, for some reason there's something inside that's so hurt that they feel like that's what their value is. 
you know, that might be their thing that they're dealing with, but you looking at them, that's your sin. That's your lust. And he's like, you know, I've even shown him what can happen sexually to men who are addicted to pornography and how it will rob you of just a healthy relationship with your wife. He knows all those things. So hopefully, because he will get tempted, he's a 15-year-old boy. He has been tempted that he will say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. You know, he's got a cell phone. And it's funny because it has, um, you know, Internet on it. And it does have a parental control. I have it. Um, that he, I lock it every night, and in the morning, I unlock it. And if he forgets, then it's my phone forever. It's what our thing is, so he never forgets to have me lock it at night. And if I'm out of town, he gives it to my daughter, you know, because um, my husband doesn't want the parental code either because it's the same code as I have on the house. So my husband's like, I don't want that code either because I don't want to be tempted either. You just have to be proactive. Like, if you're going to go swim in the ocean, you're going to go way out in there, you better take your floaties. (laughs) You know, you want to be proactive to be able to do it. But the more that they're educated, the more that they'll know the dangers of it because it is rampant. And it is, I think, almost probably like a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like a medical thing where men, yeah, an epidemic. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Thank you to where it's starting to affect so many men and they're like, what's going on with me? Absolutely, girls too, absolutely. And oh well I was gonna say something though about Edison. Um I, I I do reach to I do talk to him and Paisley. Paisley not so much. Paisley's like Mom, yeah. But Eddie more. And I'm like, how are you doing? And he will even say, Well, I'm I was a little tempted the other day but I didn't do anything and I could to look through the history of his phone. But just to have an open dialogue, and one day I just asked him, I was like, why don't you? I'm just wondering. And he goes, I just want to have integrity. Now, what's his word? And he goes, I just want to have integrity. And I was like, oh, thank you, <laughs> Jesus. But, yes, it is with girls, too. You're right. Um, and, and at the same time, just being, don't ever let your kids feel ashamed for asking you a question, you know, or make them feel um dirty or anything like that because they're just asking. They're asking the safest person that they know and so grateful that it it can be you because you're going to tell them the right thing. Their friend is not. And then also for Edison, um, I do, I do for Paisley too, I do have, um, have talked to them the importance of accountability partners and they've each chosen one. They've had the same one for about two or three years that they can talk to them. Anything else? All right. Y'all, we did it right on time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.